a goal every week, and that is exactly where Penn State stands here on the first Monday after the season opener against Akron. 1-0, so close is where I was with my point projections. 52 to nothing, the real score. 51-16. to Sean, you were a little bit uh, less optimistic, I think, before in your first prediction. I played with the weather a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, it turned out the weather was not the big deal that I thought it would be. because it, it was pretty miserable yesterday before the game, but uh, yeah, I went with 45-10. Uh, but yeah, Penn State kind of turned on the gas and, and, and left that behind pretty quickly. Yep, Sean Fitz and Andrew Callahan back in the line 24-7 podcast. Going to break down the remnants of the 52 to nothing aforementioned blowout Penn State had in its opener. About as good a start as you could have hoped for as a Penn State fan. They're going to move on to Pitt. Um, but before we get to the Panthers, we're going to go offense, defense, look into the film, see what we had there, give out some game balls, touch upon recruiting, uh, get into the Panthers, and introduce a new segment that was teased last week called Predict the Presser for what James Franklin will say when he addresses the media as he does every Tuesday during the season and then wrap up with your mailbag questions now I think also I was officially 1-0 for predicting Saquon Barkley as offensive game MVP should we keep a track of these because I think I'm off to a pretty solid start here I think you can make a case for Trace McSorley and I'm going to do that later in the podcast but yeah with, with 52 points I think there's plenty of options for guys <laughs> to, to come up and grab that and at the end of the day uh yeah I mean both guys were were on point yesterday and just a very impressive performance by Penn State of course I really stood out on a limb there picking Barkley I guess as we both did yes with the two best players in the team uh but that'll happen we still have plenty of games to go and you'll see it happen again um you know right off the bat again we talked about this immediately after the game we do a quick video just in terms of which was more impressive offensive or defensively you know it, when you have a shutout it's hard to go against the defense in those rare instances though it's when you have 52 points and 35 of those come in the first half we were talking before we went on the air here and we were just trying to find negatives because i mean that's the business of, of, of journalism and the internet or whatnot but yeah we were trying to find negatives and there just were so few i mean you can pick and choose here and there but uh just penn state we thought they would look good they went out and looked great. I mean, I think they exceeded expectations, which is hard to do when you're going out against a MAC team and the expectations are so high. Uh, didn't stumble out of the gate. 35 points in the first half, which of course was something we were looking at for them to start fast. Uh, it, it, Trace McSorley had the pick after that, pretty sharp and in not ideal conditions. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like, and, and if you're looking for negatives, you're going to have to look a lot closer than usual. Right. Again, we heard Franklin speak post game about this was probably the most complete game that Penn State has played since he and his staff arrived. I think it'd be very difficult to argue against that. And the biggest part of this was, you know, you could have expected Penn State to come out of the gates and, you know, guns blazing and all that. But also, they really didn't have major errors, as you mentioned. You know, McSorley started with a pick. Very minor things from there on out where you could have involved Akron a little bit more had you just handed them some help. Penn State never really did that. Of course, they, you know, defensively at least, and we'll get into this a little later, kind of kept the playbook uh, a little bit smaller than you might expect, which, again, they rotated a lot of guys. You're not going to flash a, a variety of different fronts or coverages or things like that. But, you know, they did their jobs very well. They didn't hurt themselves in the process, and that's what led to the shutout. Um, but, you know, again, if you're if you're having this nitpick argument, again, week one, you're in an outstanding spot. And that's where we find, though, with the film, which is where I try to nitpick every single week. Right, and we're, and we're breaking down these little things. And, and I, I was looking, you know, at the game yesterday, and I'm thinking, oh, where's Coe Farmer? You know, where, where are these linebackers? And I'm thinking, hey, the defensive line just went up and dominated these guys. And, and a lot of that was coming up the middle, and it wasn't just the starters either. I mean, you saw some good things from Robert Windsor and Tyrell Chavis at the one technique, uh, Kevin Givens, your boy, um, you 
you know, had made some plays at the three. And of course, the starters were there as well. And and the defensive ends, who we saw as a big question mark coming in, played eight of them, uh, you know, rotated them fairly freely through the game. And I thought they did a good job as well. So I don't think you can take too much away from it, but uh, it's just a lot more positive than negative. Yep. 37 different players in total played defense for Penn State a year ago. Right now, as we record this on a Sunday, I have not gotten entirely into Penn State's defense into the same detail I would like. Uh, but offensively, that is not the case. Having broken down their entire game from yesterday, a lot of things to like. And, and what you started to see you know, were some of the rumors that you heard in the offseason and even the Lions speak for themselves about, okay, what's the offense going to look like in year two? Okay, We saw this right off the bat. This was a most diverse a half in terms of them going on the ground, as I think we saw all of last year, with just all these small little, you know, again, not really wrinkles but different variations on their base core concepts so for example you know you would see Penn State run that zone read off of the edge well of course we saw that a couple of times with some different tweaks which wasn't entirely new but then you'd have a zone read where they would instead of reading a defensive end on the edge it would be a midline zone read which has been around for a while but to see that in the first half of the first game of the season I think speaks to perhaps you know where they want to use it moving forward and a variety of other different runs that are entirely different from the zone read so I think that stuck out to me in that you know their efforts this offseason how can we get Saquon Barkley the ball in space more often I mean they were not shy about showing how they want to do that in the first half against Akron 35 points later they were trotting into the locker room for halftime yeah Penn State was fairly basic yesterday but you could still see the evolution of the offense I mean Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the Big Ten he's also the best decoy in the Big Ten I think it was kind of overstated that he didn't see a touch on the first drive but yeah and I'm glad you brought that up though because I I looked at this and it's (laughs) I think people forget that you know one of the biggest headlines of this offense was the RPO component and then there's a decision built into every single RPO that they've run either run or pass or or even read run so those decisions are made by McSorley on that first drive we had nine plays four of them were regular passes so that ball was not going to Barkley regardless Uh, three of them were RPOs that Trace McSorley read correctly and then another was a read run so that he also read correctly. And the one snap Barkley was going to get the ball, no questions asked, was the high snap on the penultimate play before he threw the interception. So he wasn't so much a decoy as McSorley was just making the right call. And we could just go with Joe Moorhead's a six son of a gun and wanted to see everybody freak <laughs> out, which if you know Joe is not is not below him. He would do that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it, it was fun to see. And, and for them to move down the field as easily as they did, and it's Akron, I know that, but still, you've got so many options. You've got so many weapons. Jasicki was good again on, on Saturday. Juwan Johnson stepped out. Uh, yeah, going back, you're, you're looking. If you're looking for negatives, Deshaun Hamilton's got a hold on the ball. Conditions aren't ideal, obviously, but at the same time, he had a, a couple opportunities which he did not do. But, but yeah, I, th- I think we're splitting hairs here. Um, the offensive line, which is is the thing that we talked about the most coming into the season, I thought they were pretty good. They moved some people around. Uh, I, I like them pulling. Uh, Connor McGovern out in space pulling uh, is a big deal to me because you know you, you compare him to Brian Guy last year, and I think it's a it's a huge difference. Uh, he got out in front of some plays yesterday uh, the touchdown he fi- Barkley followed both guards around the left side uh, it's just gonna be tough to do and and when you've got receivers blocking downfield as well you know it's it's pretty good especially when you're talented as number 26 is right and I'm glad you brought up Joe Mo a little bit uh, because I think the other part about this in addition to the the diversity of the run game in the first half was you just saw again studying the film was just you know his ability to adjust not only just you know, leading up to halftime, but drive to drive. So I mentioned the RPOs. Penn State had three straight RPOs to open the game, facing largely zone coverage. 
So Akron, in response, went to more man. It's difficult to run RPOs against usually straight up man or perhaps cover one. Uh, and then they also started to send pressure around the edges, which made it a little bit more complex for Penn State to run their zone read. Now, Penn State scored a touchdown nonetheless. But at the start of the third drive, they have an answer with a concept that essentially allowed that pressure to come in from the inside and then throw to a wide open Gasicki who had crossed the formation and dumped into the flat, where, of course, you don't have a man because you just blitzed off the edge. So, you know, part of that always is going to be scheme. It's always going to be execution and attention to those, you know, famous little things. Uh, And Penn State executed them all, which I think, you know, even against an opponent like Akron, to see all of those things come together has got to be an impressive and a quality takeaway if you're a fan. Yeah, absolutely. And and they kept McSorley pretty clean. Um, Obviously, he took some shots in the run game, which you'd probably not like to see happen in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, they kept him fairly clean. Some space to run. There were some negative plays in the running game, but you'll have that, uh, you know, with with the style of offense they run. So just all around offensively, uh, a good look. Defensively, so many players in and out there. I mean, it was was great to see. Uh, You had 50 15 guys making their debut as freshmen, redshirt freshmen or whatnot. So it was good to see guys like Jarvis Miller get in there, Cam Brown. And, and that's a takeaway that I had. We were talking about Koa Farmer earlier, and, and Manny Bowen played fairly well when he was in there as well. But uh, Jarvis Miller and Cam Brown got some real valuable snaps and showed a lot of development from last year. I think there was a play that I tweeted about during the game. Uh, Cam Brown set the edge, made the play on the edge. A year ago, he gets swallowed up and just, yeah. just destroyed out there. So I, I think he's made some strides. I was excited to see what Jarvis Miller could do um, playing in the sand behind Koa Farmer. And so it, they're starting to build some depth there. We, we know they have depth in the middle with Kabinda and Brandon Smith, but starting to build, if you get six, uh, six linebackers that can play for you, you're, you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, and I think the one spot you would want to see a little bit more out of were the defensive ends. Again, that was a very heavy, heavy rotation. You also lost Sharif Miller in the first drive. He tweeted out Saturday night, I'll be back for Pitt. Yeah, Appreciate gone, your concern. You can believe it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. It has not been gone from the screenshot I took, though, and we all, of course, saw it, wrote about it. Uh, but nonetheless, it looks like he'll be good to go. And, and he's, you know, your, your prime breakout candidate for this defense who's going to have a, a terrific pass rush, presumably. You know, he goes out, and, and so it's natural to see a little bit of a drop-off there from a pass rush perspective. You know, there's plenty of potential behind him, and I think we'll see Shaka Tona, uh, Yeter Grossmatos, and Shane Simmons, who all entered the game first in obvious passing situations, you know, see more reps in that area. Um, but again, you know, once Miller comes back and you're at full strength and you're up against opponent, perhaps like a Pitt or later on in Iowa, Indiana, Northwestern, that's when you can evaluate where you're at and, and make tweaks if need be. But right now, you know, it, it's okay that they only had, I think it was three sacks. Yeah, and, and if you look at the snap counts that you did, uh, just not a, not an overwhelming number of Which plays. is advised. Right, <laughs> not, not an overwhelming number of plays for those defensive ends. So you see flashes from these guys. I mean, you and I were talking about Shaka Tony yesterday. He came in right off the bat, ran around the tackle, drew a holding penalty. Uh, he's just so quick off the edge. Colin Castagna played well, uh, I thought, and, and Buck Holtz is the guy that had the big stat line in the first half. He was just, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that we know can play all over the defense defensive line he can play the run very well it's good to see him get to the quarterback as well so uh yeah when you've got options like that you've you know sean spencer likes what he's going to work with they're not there yet but i think they can get there speaking of snap counts and quarterbacks tommy stevens played 15 snaps uh, three of those, he shared a backfield with Trace McSorley. We saw this a little bit a year ago against Iowa. Questions are about how much will Penn State use this package moving forward. Franklin came right out and said, we are going to use this throughout the year. I think that timing is of no, you know, for, especially for a program that likes to play it a little closer to the best when it comes to injuries or schemes or things that will play a large role on Saturdays. Um, 
I'll get into why I don't believe we're going to see the Tommy Stevens package a whole lot moving forward. But first, your thoughts on seeing number two out there with number nine. That's fun. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, when you have those options that you have with with Johnson and, and Tompkins, who DeAndre Tompkins played very well this weekend, um, Hamilton, those guys. And then you add Jasicki to that. You add Barkley to that. And all of a sudden, you've got two quarterbacks that can throw the ball. And that's going to be tough to stop. I mean, and it, and it's one thing to, you know, put it in there to, to make you prepare for some things. And it's another thing to use it. They went out and used it. And I was, it, it was fun to see. I don't, I'm with you. I don't think it sticks around as a major part of the package, but it's going to be something that you have to practice. You have to account for. And I think that honestly is the greatest value of what it will be is it, it takes away practice time from opponents, knowing that it's not a big component of this offense, because I think there's a major reason we saw this, you know, not until mid late third quarter on Saturday, Saturday. And then also, as I mentioned, you know, when the game was well put away against Iowa a year ago, this is a small part of their offense. It, it's very different. A year ago, it's just a simple jet sweep. Tommy Stevens took it around the end and scored. Yesterday, we saw him catch a pass running out into the flat. Uh, again, was able to, you know, move and throw and, you know, as we'd expect from him, a more athletic quarterback. But this is a guy you're looking at if you want to move forward and get to the place where you want to be, the college football playoff, you need him to stay healthy. And I think in addition to that, perhaps more importantly, you, you're not taking Saquon Barkley off the field for Tommy Stevens because as an offense, you're just not that much better. So introducing him to, to greater injury risk, which is always going to happen when you step on the field, but I think, you know, at, at what benefit, um, you know, it doesn't really exist a real reason to have him out there on a consistent basis with the exception of okay it'll take away practice time for an opponent and again Pitt coming up I'm not one of these folks who I think Penn State will go the extra length to kind of needle Pitt I think they'd rather just go out in the field practice and prepare as hard as they can to blow them out but you know again with how forthcoming Franklin was about yeah we're definitely going to use this moving forward they introduced it against Akron a team they didn't need to um and the fact that again they're not better off by taking Barkley or even Juwan Johnson or Deshaun Hamilton or DeAndre Tompkins and certainly not Mike Kosicki off the field for Tommy Stevens you know, this will be few and far between. I think we see this package moving forward. We'll see if Stevens can block. Maybe he can fill in there at tight end because they've had some issues there. <laughs> but yeah, going back to the game, uh, your game ball, Saquon. I- I'm going to go with Trace just to be different. It- obviously, Saquon is a stud. I mean, he's he he is something special. And you know, I I, I say this all the time, but soak it in because uh, he's not going to be back next year. I mean, no, it's just, no. <laughs> no, no question about that in my mind. But yeah, I mean, he's just uh, he's something special with the ball, without the ball. He just changed the defense and and that's it's something that it's just there are few players that can do that in college football for him to to take that touchdown run uh where he came from the slot motion back into the backfield came back across the the, the offense it's just stupid uh, it's just ridiculous <laughs> i mean it's just uh and, and and perhaps his most impressive run was in the first half and you highlighted this on twitter where he was dead to rights and ended up what down eight nine yards later it was just incredible yeah that was just a check down they dropped eight and and that was the the first Saquon moment really of the season you're looking at and go how do you escape four guys who basically have you cornered you're standing in the middle of a square and he escapes out to the right and then outruns three more uh zips who who came in to trail but it worked out because he's number 26 yeah and the long run uh still scratching my head on where exactly he may have been out of bounds it wasn't at the seven where they marked it but uh yeah that, that was just it was crazy how about in the end zone to start the second half returning <laughs> kicks jeez uh Wow. Uh, yeah. If you're looking for negatives, I think you can put that under negatives. And, and granted, you know, he's going to have to be in the situation where he returns kicks. But I don't know, man. Uh, against Akron in the second half, I mean, there, there's there's probably better places to get him some experience. Um, you, 
I, I would have loved to see Miles Sanders back there, Brandon Polk, somebody like that, that, that you're going to use on a more consistent basis. But, hey, man, uh, 52-0, who, who would question that, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's put a bow on that for now. Um, Penn State 52, Akron 0. Next week, I think that would all be a result that folks would look for against Pitt. Um, they take it. Yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, but, you know, let's start right there with, with the kick return. You know, Quadri Henderson, best player perhaps on this Panthers roster. He's a guy who can hurt you in, in two phases. Uh, and the first one's going to be special teams because there's no avoiding him there. Inevitably, when Pensy either has to kick off to start the second half or the game. Yeah, and obviously they want to do a lot of kicking next week. Tyler Davis handled it this week. Did fine. I, I wouldn't say great. I wouldn't say bad. Uh, they try the, the, the corner directional kick, which I think is the way to go. If you're trying to pin pin a returner like Henderson down, uh, gives your coverage team a little bit more of an advantage to, to get him in that corner and go with it. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have the leg that Joe Julius had, but, uh, you know, I, I think he did fine, could be better. Uh, Alex Barbier came in, uh, did not do as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's going to be one of the more intriguing matchups this week because Quadri Henderson, uh, just a fantastic player. Uh, I think he what he had nine carries for 77 yards. So anytime you he has the ball in his hands, you got to account for him. And obviously, they're not going to be able to avoid him on kickoffs unless they're kicking it out of bounds and taking it to 35, which obviously they don't want to do. So I think it's a, a very intriguing matchup this week. He, he's a guy that you got to have a hat on all the time. And and you know with Pitt, with Pitt the way they played in in the overtime win over Youngstown State, uh, Youngstown State's a pretty good FCS team, but still should not be in in overtime with Pitt. But you know this offense just lacked firepower. And, and Pat Narduzzi said it last year they were holding things back in the first game last year against Villanova I assume they were holding things back against uh, Youngstown State but uh, I just looked to see where the firepower is going to come from Max Brown not overly impressive so uh, it, it's just going to be interesting and, and, and flipping the ball over Youngstown State uh, outgained them 418 yards to 348 yards. Uh, a lot of that was through the air. Obviously, McSorley's going to look to to go deep and get yes. behind the defense. So, yeah, just the matchups overwhelmingly favor Penn State in my eyes. And we'll, we'll get to more Pitt, Penn State, you know, X and O breakdowns into the details for our Friday podcast. But I think that last point that you brought up was a good one, is that this is a defense that struggled mightily against the past the past last year and lost a lot from said past and defense does not have Jordan Whitehead. Right. And will not have Jordan Whitehead, player. you know, coming into happy Valley on Saturday for a three thirty kick. So this is a team that's going to be highly vulnerable up against a, an opponent that has all the motivation in the world to drop as many points as they can. And, you know, they were really just a couple of, you know, they had an outstanding opening drive. I thought until you had a high snap a year ago and Penn state is, is at Pitt. Then of course you had a strip sack, another fumble, things got out of hand from there in the first half, but it's a much different pit team. Um, and, and otherwise, you know, another new offense, Max Brown's new, the new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, Sean Watson has been around the block about a hundred times. So it's a, it's a different offense. It's less potent. I think no matter which way you look at it. Um, so, so Penn state's defense should be in a, in a good spot too. You know, again, whichever way you look at it, we'll get more into the details there. Um, but, you know, it was a 21 nothing lead, in fairness, two pit at halftime against Youngstown State. The problem was they let up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and found themselves playing more football. Yeah, can't do that. And and you and I didn't watch the game. Uh, we watched a little bit at the end, of, of course, because Penn State was playing at that point. But uh, just reading the ESPN uh, write-up, one thing really jumped out to me. It said Pitt struggled to keep running backs and tight ends in check. That's probably not, uh, you know, not the matchup they're looking for next week when you got Jasicki and Barkley, uh, you know, in, in Happy Valley. So, yeah, it's just uh, one of those things. That going back to Penn State's got a lot of talent. Pitt uh, has a lot of work to do. Um, were, were they holding things back? Probably. I, I have no doubt about that. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where where I think Penn State's going their, their talent can can overwhelmingly run them out of the building. Right. Uh, a lot of the work Pitt has to do, of course, comes with recruiting. Penn State did a little bit of work itself this weekend, largely commits in town, and then uh, one recruiter who has yet to come on board. Yeah, uh, Penn State a small recruiting weekend as they like to do with the season opener. You're just getting into you know it, Penn State has a recruiting staff of seven guys, so you're just getting into uh, the routine with those guys with unofficial visits, uh, knowing. Where everybody needs to be, and and sort of a dress rehearsal for next weekend, which will be a, a, a bigger a bigger group of recruits that we'll get into later this week. But yeah, about twenty recruits in total, probably about eight or ten names to know. Um, Pat Fryermuth was down from Massachusetts. It's your boy, uh, tight end, not, not my boy, but we do share a common, uh, you know. Yeah, area of the country. The commits that were on hand: Justin Shorter, Jesse Lukita, Sam. Uh, excuse me, PJ Mustafer, not Sam, his older brother. Uh, Zach Coons, Charlie Catcher, Saul James Franklin at their games on Friday night. He came down and checked them out. So, um, but uh, but the guy that I wanted to highlight, Keaton Ellis, um, three visits in 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 a little bit over a week, and of course. He's a state college kid, so a visit is you know coming across town, catching a catabus if he wants to. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I think this is a guy that probably ends up as Penn State's, if not their first commit, a very early commit. The crystal ball is all Penn State, and they like him a lot. And, and it's not just because he's from state college. This is a kid that's a legit six foot. He's got good length. Uh, he came to their camp, I think ran a 4.37 in June, earned an offer, came back to their camp in July, uh, ran well once again, stuck with some, some pretty top uh, prospects that they had on campus. So um, they like him a lot. He's he's right near the top of their board at corner. Probably going to take two corners uh, again next year. So uh, I just I think it's a matter of time. And it, you don't say that with too many kids, especially this early in the process. But, but you do when they come from state state, state high. State high. Uh, he's got a Penn State offer, a Syracuse offer, a Buffalo offer. Not sure if his connections to Penn State are holding back his offer list, but he's definitely a better player than a three offer kid. So uh, yeah, it's just uh, he'll be back again for the pit game if you can if he can get through the traffic across town. I guess. But yeah, it's uh, it's one of those guys that I think uh, it's not a shoe in, obviously, but it's going to be tough for him to go anywhere else. As close as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's told me he lives ten minutes from the stadium, which can mean a lot of things in state college. But yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one to see uh, go elsewhere. Otherwise, recruiting um, not at a standstill because you're you're looking at the 2018 class right now, and there's no room uh, essentially left. There's a couple of guys on board: Jason Owe, Tyreek Smith, who recently announced that he'll be announcing at the Under Armour game, which is the same as Jason Owe. Um, we expect Micah Parsons to announce in an, an All Star game as well. So um, uh, just a couple guys. The, the same names keep coming. Rashid Walker, yeah. those three defensive ends. Um, so, you know, there's not going to be a lot of movement there. 2019, you're going to see some guys come in. Uh, September 1st was the first day that they were able to uh, to reach out. Had a pretty cool graphic. I don't know if you guys saw that on Twitter with with the James Franklin and the recruiting staff looking at the at the computer with uh, the 24/7 Sports composite rankings up. Right. Uh, Nashville, where we're based, got a kick out of that one. So uh, so that was fun to see. But yeah, uh, Penn State putting most of their effort into the 2019 2020 classes right now, just because you know they're so full in 2018. And given the class that they have, the number three class in the country, as pretty good spot to be in and it's a class that's kept itself together too you know made a couple of you know big time decommits that they had over the course of the summer and the spring they've they've stayed together they're very happy with where they are and you know the staff is obviously too because of where the rank yeah is. and that helps i mean penn state had to worry about keeping their class together um a couple of years ago with the seven and six seasons it was always a struggle going through january hey it's a heck of a lot keep uh, a lot easier to keep your class together when you're winning you know 
10, 52 to nothing. Games. Yeah, <laughs> it's 52 to nothing. So, so yeah, uh, obviously, like where they stand in 2018, they're going to continue to build on that. Because in 2019, it, I, I think you make that transition to, you know, you're a winning team, but your your profile is getting a little bit more national every time you know, you show up on ESPN. You go you go through the process, and Penn State's going to have to do that in 2019 because you know the immediate areas is not great. I mean, Penn State might only end up offering two or three kids out of Pennsylvania in the 2019 class, which is basically unheard of. So, um, you know, you're looking out beyond Jersey, beyond Maryland, the DMV area, Virginia, um, and you're trying to uh, extend your brand to Texas and Florida and Georgia and, find, and and cultivate some of this talent and even get into Ohio where Ohio State is recruiting, you know, as well as Penn State's recruiting, Ohio State's on another level altogether. So um, you're trying to close that gap and, and you can do that by, you know, sniping a couple kids from Ohio. If they can get a guy like Tyreek Smith, if they can get uh, Jason Oway or, or Michael Parsons, who they're head-to-head with Ohio State for, uh, that's a big deal. And so just chip away a little bit. Ohio State is the standard, but when you're recruiting like Penn State is recruiting, uh, you know, you're just trying to close that gap to, to where you can get there. So I think it's it, it's very intriguing, even though we know what Penn State's class is going to look at in signing day in December. And then, of course, uh, most for the most part, signing day in February. So um, interesting to follow, intriguing, but not a ton happening. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, I'm shocked. <laughs> we just got through a small segment talking about Penn State recruiting in Ohio. And Mike Miranda was not mentioned once. Well, he is obviously the, the guy that they point to as the guy that can come in. No, <laughs> no I'm proud of you. No. We, we made it in. What is this Man, episode? You're killing me. You're killing me. And, and I mentioned State College, didn't mention Altoona, Kevin Gibbons. You know, it's, it's just going to be a waterfall from here. But predictable on my part to, to mention Mike Miranda. You James, didn't know James, that. James Franklin, predictable at times in his in his press conference. That's a heck of a segue, by the way. We're going to get into predicting the press conference. Just to do anything to get away from just dumping Miranda in your lap after just, you had done so well. Uh, um, yeah, okay. So as I mentioned at the top, Predict the Presser. It's a new segment you can look forward to every Monday. Uh, and we'll have a little preamble here to Predict the Presser. Because, of course, we are all creatures of habit. Coaches are more creatures of habit than I think anyone who walks a planet. You know, they, they are beholden to routine. It, it maximizes their efficiency, uh, their ability. And so whether it's talking, practicing, planning, whatever it happens to be, you can know what they're going to do when they're going to do it most of the time. Tuesdays at 1230, James Franklin is going to sit down for these press conferences. Inevitably, when you just talk for so long and so frequently, you're going to repeat yourself, whether that's leaning on cliches, whether that's a topic comes up that you don't want to talk about. Franklin, of course, you know, when he doesn't want to talk about something, doesn't have to, and is able to flex that muscle if I can go on for two or three minutes or pivot to a different topic conversation and go on about that. He's very efficient at it. So what we'd like to do is as, you know, we of course sit there every week, listen to this, pass on the most important takeaways uh, with what we produce later that day and on Wednesday, is to have a little fun in the meantime, and instead of wait for that to happen, is to go ahead, see what the opponent is, see what happened last weekend, and say, okay, Tuesday when he sits down, what's going to come out? Because you could do this for any anyone, you know, you could do this for Predict the Next Podcast. But for us here on the fun podcast part of it, we're going to do Predict the Presser. If you're doing Predict the Podcast, just go outside, do something. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. So the interesting part about this to me is not only is it just a, is it kind of fun, but also Pit Week in my mind will probably be one of the more difficult weeks to predict. Everyone knows obviously what happened a year ago. Everyone knows you know the two programs are not best of friends. Um, and then you're coming off of a week where, as we said at the top, you can name any one of game MVP. So they name offensive, defensive, and special uh, 
team's players of the week. I think Franklin's is up there. We're going to have, you know, obviously reviewing the film, we were pleased with 52 to nothing. A lot of things we did well, some things we need to clean up and improve. Got a lot of bodies in there, you know, almost 40 on the defensive side alone. Offensive player of the week goes to Saquon Barkley. Don't need to say much more there. Defensive player of the week went to Ryan Buckholt, his first career forced fumble. Special teams, John Dre Tompkins, of course, ending that streak. We didn't have a punt return for a touchdown since 2008. That about wraps it up for Akron. Uh, moving on to Pitt, obviously a lot of respect for that program. Coach Narduzzi there, you know, a, a tough program. You know what to expect defensively, offensively. Got a new coordinator, Sean Watson. You know, a lot of respect for what he's done over the years. Another new quarterback in there, and Max Brown makes it a little bit more uh, difficult to prepare, but we've been through this. We looked at them over the course of the offseason, and we're going to go in there and, and do uh, what we do and, and hope to come out with a win, and we're very excited for the challenge at 3.30 on Saturday. Yeah, I hope he listens to this and picks up on your slight impression of him because it's uh, it's it's a New England James Franklin. It's pretty funny, but yeah, I I, I feel the same way. A, a lot of respect for the program, which is interesting because this this rivalry, obviously, we saw it in the field last year. It's been brutal on the recruiting trail. Uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that there's been negative recruiting and it goes both ways no doubt about it and it, it's just it's it was particularly brutal when you had Penn State flip Nick Bowers late Penn State flip Kevin Givens late um, after the tax slayer bowl Penn, uh, Pitt came in and, and, and flipped Aaron Matthews uh, you know it's just it, it was sort of back and forth and for the most part when you when you go offer to offer Penn State is is largely dominant in that area but there's a couple of kids I mean Penn uh, Pitt came out and got um, got Jordan Whitehead DeMar, DeMar Hamlin guys out of Pittsburgh, Penn State, you know, didn't quite crack that wall on some of those elite uh, Whippeo players, uh, whereas they got Miles Sanders. And that was another one where, you know, Pat Narduzzi went hard at Miles Sanders um, to, to either get him to flip, get him to go somewhere else, um, you know, and Penn State came to it. So uh, a ton of respect, and that's what all fo- football coaches are going to say. But this this has been a brutal rivalry under the the, the recruiting uh, the, the recruiting drum. I mean, it's just been it's it's been fascinating to watch. We've gotten into it on the site at times. I'm not going to get too deep into it on the podcast. Can we get into some predictions here, though? We can get into some predictions. I'm sorry. 35 <laughs> points in eight games for Penn State. I think this is something that's going to be highlighted, not only because it's a pretty good accomplishment, especially for Penn State, which, you know, isn't known yes. to put up points. 35 points in eight straight games, the longest streak in the country. Um, that That is, to me, is not only... History. Yeah, it, it, to me, that's not only something that you can put out there to say, hey, we're a good team, but this is a sell to, uh, say, Justin Fields. You know, this is a sell to uh, those guys uh, yeah. looking to play an elite offense. Uh, Franklin, every time he goes up there, uh, and you'll notice this at the uh, the post-game press conference, hey, thanks for being here, thanks for supporting the program, and he's always looking up at that because right above the, uh, the media room is where the recruits gather, so... He's always selling, and that's no doubt. That that's just the way he is. And, and I see this eight uh, eight straight games of thirty five points as an excellent opportunity, and it's fact based opportunity to to sell the program a little bit more and and, okay. and go from there. That's yeah. it. That a lot of respect and thirty five points. Yeah. Any other mention or thing about Pitt that's going to come out? I like I gave a spiel there. <laughs> you did. I, I don't have the Franklin impression. I just well, apparently I, I don't either. But I, we, I we've got need, many more weeks. I don't need that phone <laughs> in, call in the, in the season <laughs> to to go on about it. All right. Well, that wraps up. Predict the pressure should get better as the weeks go on. Hopefully. Uh, and again, I think this is probably the most difficult one to predict. But you know. Um, you could do the same with us and, and make fun of us, and but not that that's what's transpiring here. But of course, see what happens, and uh, we're all creatures of habit. We should have a little fun along the way while we're just listening to um, the cliches that we ask and the answers that we get. Mailbag. What do we got? 
Uh, first question, uh, did you guys get a chance to look at other games in the Big Ten, and what were your thoughts about those? Obviously, Penn State was playing during the Maryland game. Uh, it didn't look like it was going to start that uh, the, the way it finished, but uh, yeah, I think it's a great win for DJ Durkin. Uh, for that program, the talent level is steadily climbing. Um, I don't know that they're going to be at the point where they're going to crack that top three, top four in the Big Ten East, but at the same time, to go into Texas, uh, Tom Herman's uh, first game, uh, that's a great win a really great win and, and you got to commend those guys and obviously uh you know we know some guys on the maryland staff tyler bowen was the offensive line coach was a ga at penn state uh, a great win for them a big confidence builder and i'm not convinced they're a good team uh you know I, I don't think they they can throw the ball as well to beat teams and and i think they threw like 15 passes against uh texas but great running game uh is going to give teams that you know maybe aren't very deep up the middle fits this year and and uh, i i i don't know that they're going to be a uh, an eight or nine win team but uh, they, i think they have the talent to get to the bowl if they if they stay healthy so great win for maryland um obviously Michigan had a great win as well. Their defense is going to be something to deal with. I don't think that the drop off was, um, you know, as big as a lot of people thought it was, they went down and, and took care of business against Florida. And I mean, they dominated. And Purdue. <laughs> When's the last time we talked about Purdue? Uh, they, they, they gave uh, Louisville all they could handle. Obviously, it's it's not going to be a team that, that challenges Penn State or anybody in the Big Ten West anytime soon. But I like what they're doing at Purdue. They're, they've invested in the program. They brought in a, a coach who, you know, is on the rise. And that probably will be a stepping stone job for a little bit. But building great facilities, uh, putting a lot of money in the program and and, you know, suffice to say that they're already showing returns, but I think they're going to be a team that, that moves up that uh, pecking order in the Big Ten West in the next couple of years. I think my takeaway was more on a big picture scale. Um, you know, I'll get a small one in there. I did catch a lot of the end of the Northwestern game, and I think that was a little bit underwhelming. But, you know, we saw how they started a year ago and then finished with a win over Pitt in the Pinstripe Bowl. And um, I, I still think they'll be able to give Penn State some problems when Penn State goes out to Evanston in early October. But overall, the bottom of the Big Ten much better than a year ago. Rutgers pushing Washington for the better part of three quarters. You know, Indiana, again, way out ahead. It seemed like every Indiana game you watched against Ohio State. But there were some really critical errors there that I think fueled the Buckeyes, and they got their, their athletes in space, and then it was see you later. So Ohio State, you know, covered 41, or 49 to 21. Um, but Indiana, you mentioned Maryland. Rutgers is in the mix. And I just think those games that you could look at the schedule a year ago and be like, okay, you know, walking over them, walking over another program when Penn State, you know, ended with Rutgers and then Michigan State, it was very difficult to see a loss in either one of those games when they got by Indiana. And going to Purdue, even after, you know, beating Ohio State, Penn State's biggest worry wasn't so much the Boilermaker, it was just having an emotional letdown themselves. I don't think you can say that about any one of those teams. You know, I wouldn't expect Rutgers to come into Happy Valley and come within 14 points, but I think it's just a stronger conference now, top to bottom, and especially, as you mentioned, if Michigan, you know, holds true to what they did against Florida, which was just borderline unspeakable. I mean, they just, to it, Florida's only touchdowns were pick sixes. Yeah, they beat them up. So, um, very impressive first week, but again, as I mentioned, you know, specific to Northwestern, holds true for the rest of the conference. It's only one week. This sport is is made better because of its small sample size and its greater randomness. You know, that could just very well drop off entirely as a conference next week, and it wouldn't mean 
as much as what we just saw. It just gives us a little bit more to work with. I think our takes need to be hotter, uh, personally. But all right, uh, one player that surprised you this weekend, I went with Cam Brown. Um, he, like I said earlier, he showed tremendous development. He's obviously added some size. He was not ready last year, should have redshirted last year. And he even says that, and James Franklin has said that in the past. So uh, he's a guy that uh, if you can get uh, get to that six linebacker, get a full two deep out of that uh, out of that position, I think you're pretty you're, you're sitting pretty. So Cam Brown was a guy that's pleasantly surprised me. Um, expect some things going from from him, uh, and is probably going to get a hand on another punt like he did last year. Amani. Oruarie, another pick, another season opener. Uh, surprised me. I think he's been overlooked a little bit with all the discussions about Lamont Wade and Tariq Castro Fields, which of course we have contributed to. But absolutely, he's a guy who was the first corner off the bench. There was no doubt about that, and it was an outstanding play. So that was certainly a surprise. Not something I expected to see uh, when Penn State took the field. And, it, and it's good to see because he's he knows he's got guys coming for his job. I mean, they, they, you know, these young guys that they recruit, these uh, these four or five star guys, um, they're they're coming in to take jobs. Amani has been solid, not spectacular. He's made a couple plays and, you know, he's been left behind on some. So uh, he continues to show improvement. Uh, we continue to see the Penn State's corner group is, is is pretty good. They weren't tested this weekend, but still, uh, yeah, that, that pick was, that was a really good play, especially when you consider the weather that he made that play in. Um, so I definitely right there with you. With, um, I thought Amani was very positive for, for them this week. Emptying out the mailbag, last one, very short and sweet. Uh, thoughts on the offensive line, guys? They're deeper, no doubt. Um, you know, you look at where they um, where they go across the board. Almost too deep. I think Stephen Gonzalez played played a lot more than he should have, and he also he played, played every well. snap. Yeah, he played he played well, but uh, I don't think they have a backup left guard if they're going to try and redshirt Mike Miranda. There you go. Um, but yeah, across the board, I, I thought they looked solid. Um, you, you hate to get into to, to parsing guys like Will Fries and Michael Mennett, but they look like they belonged on a Big Ten field. So um, that that that's a good thing to take away from that. Uh, um, didn't see Andrew Nelson. Uh, we expected to see him, not a ton of him, but you know, I, I still don't think he's 100%. I don't think he's ready to go. And, and for the conditions being what they were, I don't think it's a horrible decision not to play him. No. Uh, and I think, though, when he does return, I think he will um, – Push Chaz right. I think he could even just jump in the first week that he's available on a rotational basis and very well may start the following week because, you know, not again, we go back to how we started this is that if you want to find flaws in Penn State's 52 to nothing win over Akron, you need to break out the microscope. Well, one of the cracks you might find when you broke out the microscope, I think, was Chaz Wright, which just comes with being, you know, partly 360 pounds and six foot seven. So you're not moving as well as the other guys along the line when you have a guy who used to play tackle next to you and Brandon Mann who looked very violent, very good in the run game. Uh, you mentioned Connor McGovern. Govern moved well. And then Ryan Bates at tackles probably got the best feed of that group. So he doesn't look good comparatively. Um, but I think Andrew Nelson, when he returns, will definitely give a boost to that line overall. You know, very good. You know, they're, they're definitely a, a beefier group. You saw them create space in the run game. Trace McSorley, you know, could have sat back and had a picnic on a couple of dropbacks. So an encouraging sign. But again, I think Pitt will, will teach us more about this group. And of course, you know, once they get into Big Ten play, that's when you'll really know uh, what Penn State has. But you mentioned the depth is there. So in the event that injuries do strike again, they're in better shape than they were a year ago. And we all know what happened then. Yeah, and they're bigger. And I don't think we've seen a drop off in athleticism because of it. Obviously, uh, you know, you're going left or right. Uh, it, it, it's a pretty athletic group led by Bates, uh, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I, I like where they're at. Uh, still room for improvement. You mentioned Wright, um, just a big guy. It takes a long time to run around him. Um, really, the only question, you know, uh, <laughs> Where, where's guys like Sterling Jenkins? You know, when you're talking about second and third team guys, hey, hey, I mean, that's a good problem to have, especially where this offensive line has been in the last couple of years. Yes. 
Now, where we will be next time is Friday morning with the next podcast. We will get more into Pitt, offer game predictions, predict uh, offensive and defensive MVPs, and uh, hopefully, at least at the end of next weekend, we will be 2-0. I feel like we're uh, 1-0 to start here with the Twice Weekly so far. Yeah, I, I like it so far. The numbers are good. Uh, guys keep uh, listening to us, rating us on iTunes. We're, we're slowly creeping up that list, uh, and it's, you know, it kind of, I know it makes your heart skip a beat every time you see a new review on there, so uh, no, but no, thanks for listening. Uh, it's always a pleasure to do this, and, and hopefully we keep it rolling. Happy Labor Day. We'll see you Friday. Oh,